Howdy folks, welcome to Camera Shake, where we bring you the insider scoop on all things photography and videography, giving you a unique opportunity to stay ahead of the curve. We spend literally hundreds of hours interviewing some of the most renowned photographers of our time, giving you access to knowledge and expertise that's not available anywhere else. I'm your host, Kirsten Nutz, but wait, there's more. In today's episode, my special guest and I will explore whether cell phones and AI are about to kill photography as we know it, or whether it's all just a flash in the pan. So buckle up, grab a cold one, and let's shake it up right after this. Welcome to Camera Shake Podcast, episode 157. But hold up, before we get into today's episode, I have one small favor to ask of you. If you enjoy this podcast, please join the Camera Shake community over on camerashakepodcast.com so that you're the first ones to know when we've got some exciting news for you. You'll find the link in the description, or if you're watching on YouTube, it'll be right down here somewhere on the screen. But without further ado, let's give it up for today's special guest, the Photoshop genius, author, educator, and by far one of the strongest photographers on YouTube. Well, that's <laughs> true because he actually is a former bodybuilder. Give it up for none other than Mr. Glenn Dewis. Glenn, oh, great to have you back on the show, sure. man. Yeah, good, great to be back. What an intro. God, blimey, I've got something to live up to now, haven't I? <laughs> well, it's been a while. I think last time you were on the show, it was slap bang in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've, I've, I know we were kind of briefly talking before we were on air, but it's scary how quick time's gone by since then. So, uh, and your intro is very polished as well. Your intro's changed since then. Yes, it has. I mean, back then, I think, I think, so you were on, if I remember correctly, it was episode 56 for all of you listening or watching, you know, go back and uh, and check that out because that was a super interesting episode as well. But yeah, I mean, you know, that was, although 56 episodes in, I think it was starting to get better. That's how uh -huh. I would, how I would put it. <laughs> <laughs> Great to be back though, mate. Great to be back. Yeah, I mean, you you know all about podcasting because, of, of course, he used to do the uh, He Shoots, he, he Draws podcast for a long time. Yeah, I did that with Dave, and then uh, we had we had a lot of fun doing that, really did. And obviously, Dave's carried it on, and I had to kind of um, step out of that and because I was just got too busy. And sort of recording that every week and doing some editing as well for it was just it was getting a little bit too much. I was spinning too many plates. So uh, our good friend, Alan Hess, stepped into the size 10s and uh, he's carried it on. So yeah, it's still going strong. Yeah, it's, and you've been, you, you did that for quite a long time, I remember. Yeah, again, I, I, I can't even think how long it's been going now, but it is a while, it, it is a while. And it's just interesting to see how podcasts have kind of gone, it's kind of cyclical, isn't it? That, you know, now I think, I think from what Dave was saying during the pandemic, the numbers certainly for that, that particular podcast maybe lessened a bit because people generally listen to them as they're driving to work in their car. It's kind of like dead time, isn't it? When they're listening to them. Um, whereas now I know speaking to him, although he doesn't put them out every week, I know the numbers are, are great, which is just good. He just does it because he just enjoys chatting to Alan. It just so happens to be recorded. So I guess that's kind of, the way it is with you, really. You just like to chat to all and sundry, and uh, why not record it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, so, you know, it's just a super interesting thing. And, you know, in fact, when Nick and I first started it, it was literally a thing, you know, where we thought, like, well, we talk about photography and, and nerdy photo gear and, and photo tech, <laughs> you know, technique stuff all the time yeah, anyway. Yeah. So yeah. it's perfect. You know, it's a perfect subject matter for a podcast. There must be other nerds Absolutely. out there that, that are into that sort of thing. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember, I mean, it's a perfect subject for a podcast because a lot of it can be based on opinion. Whereas I remember when I kind of first started out and I was following the, you know, the guys like Scott Kelby and Dave Cross and Matt Kraskowski learning the Photoshop side of things, they actually, they actually had kind of like going back in the day, a podcast version, audio only of Photoshop. So it's kind of like Photoshop user TV, audio only. And it worked. It still worked. Do you know what I mean? It was, they'd explain, you go to the file menu, you go to this, you go to that, and you followed it. So, um, yeah, how things have progressed, though. So, I know. This, you know, this is really interesting, um, especially in in those episodes. Like I've had a, a, a few episodes over the last few weeks where, you know, I was explaining things to do with Photoshop AI, which we'll, we'll talk about in, a, in uh -huh. a little bit. But, of course, you know, when you're demonstrating something on the screen, of course, you have to talk the listener through it and just bearing in mind that this goes out as an audio only version as well as the youtube yes, version yeah. makes yeah. you so much more conscious of the fact that you literally have to talk through every step you take and i know you do that in your videos as well which is great mm. yeah, yeah 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 definitely you have to you have to be very mindful because i know when i was chatting to when i'm doing the episodes with dave before on that he shoots he draws podcast i'd be sort of saying well for example if i just kind of point here then it's like oh no hold on they can't see that can they then you have to explain it so um yeah it's, it it's an interesting it's interesting doing the audio stuff but i i prefer i like the video i, lo I like the video kind of things i really do and i'm glad that video is so important these days it's definitely my uh definitely something i like doing yeah video is um, it's it's a whole different extra dimension to it, you know. When mm. again, you know, when uh, when Nick and I first started, you know, we we sort of started it from we came from the video side of things, and actually we didn't know how to do a podcast, like we didn't know, yeah, where, you know, where podcast lives and how this whole thing even worked. And so, um, because we both came from a photography and video background, it was actually easier to approach it as a video. And then we'll take the audio version of that or the audio yeah. part of that. And that that'll be the audio podcast. And mm -hmm. I still sort of approach it in the same way, you know, so for anybody out there who's listening to the audio version of this, and I had some um, really nice comments um, on the last episode from one of our uh, listeners who actually felt that he had to move over to YouTube to watch the thing because it was about Photoshop. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it was really interesting, uh, you know, it was interesting to to get his take on um on what it's like to watch it on YouTube. So yeah, so you know, if you are listening to the audio version, you know, be reminded that there is a fully fleshed mm -hmm. video version over on YouTube in full Technicolor, where you can see not only my face, but also <laughs> Glint's pretty face and very <laughs> impressive physique as well. By the oh way. well, I've, I've zoomed in a bit, so we're kind of we're out we're out of shot now. <laughs> T-shirt, <laughs> the T-shirt lines just at the top. There we go. Did you take? By the way, when when the, pand when the pandemic happened, did you take that as an opportunity to go and work out even more, or or? Um, do you know it was it was different really because during the pandemic we uh, we relocated and where we moved it wasn't. It, it just wasn't conducive to training. It really wasn't, unless you kind of went out on a bike or or kind of had, you know, equipment at home, it wasn't really the kind of place you could train because, you know, even when there was no pandemic, it was an hour to the nearest shops, an hour to the nearest gym and stuff like that. So um, we've since moved again since we last spoke. Um, and here is just perfect. It's perfect for, you know, everything's on the doorstep. We're future-proofed ourselves for our old life. So we don't have to move again and uh, everything's accessible. So um, 
But no, the, the training side of things is something I've, I've always done it, always done it ever since I was a kid. And it's my kind of escapism because it just, when I'm doing that, when I'm doing my training, which is the, you know, the, the weight side of things, I think about nothing else. And it's it's great because if I'm not doing that, even if I try to have some downtime and don't do any work, invariably it kind of sneaks into the brain. Do you know what I mean? You start thinking about things again, whereas I'm in the gym, that's all I think about. So that hour a day is just great. Just great for kind of resetting. Yeah, you know, I used to love going to the gym and I believe it or not, you would never you would never think that if you saw me now. But um but you know, before the pandemic hit, I used to hit the gym about four to five times a week. Yeah. And and uh and I loved it, absolutely loved it. But when the pandemic hit, when the, the first lockdown hit um in the mm. UK, which you know, we've talked about this many times on this podcast, but the first lockdown was was really pretty damn intense you know it was like I it was think scary we were, scary times yeah scary times and we were allowed out for 45 minutes a day and all the gyms were mm. shut and it was all mm. shut down and uh and i know a lot of people took that as an opportunity to go out running and to start working out from home but for me right. it did the exact opposite it completely deflated my enthusiasm for working out because now i couldn't go to my gym which is literally 150 yards maybe you know from my house so it's it's easy and mm. that shut down there's a pool as well and the whole thing um and because that was shut down it, it just i i don't know i lost all my enthusiasm for it and i've been battling to get that enthusiasm back and i'm i'm sort of i'm getting to the point now where actually i sort of made the decision to to force myself to get back into it you know because i miss it yeah this it has this, to this, it has to become when yeah yeah when it's a conscious effort to go there you have to really it, it can be a battle do you know what i mean to make yourself go there but they always say that if you do something regularly for about four weeks it then becomes a habit and you don't even think about it so it's something that you naturally do when you get up oh i go to the gym you don't, it's like brushing your teeth you don't even think about it you just do it and that's the same kind of thing with the routine for the gym with me now but i know on certain days that's when i go to the gym so it's just getting over that initial hurdle of getting yourself back into the swing of it again, I guess, really. You'll do it. If you want to do it, you'll do it. Yeah, yeah, that's the, that's the thing. I think that's my, um, th that's on my on my list for the next week or two, you know, could I get back yeah. into it? Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been driving me nuts, really. Um, my, my wife's found her mojo, you know, she's, she's mm -hmm. working out quite a lot. Um, she does it really very regularly and she's very disciplined with it. And, um, and yeah, well, so you I, know, just look, listen to your cursing now. Listen to how you're speaking now, saying it's almost like you feel slightly disappointed and deflated at the fact that you can't get back in there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So clearly, when you do, that thing, that cloud that's over you is going to go, and it's going to, it's going to, it will change you. It will totally change you because that side of your, that part of your day, that part of your life will be good. You'll feel good about it. Yeah. And then everything else will kind of just, you know, swim along. Then you'll be fine. So. Get in there. Force yourself to go in. Just do it. Make it. A, make it a habit. Make it a habit. Just get Excellent. back in there. You. You will not regret it. Excellent. I will send you some some gym selfies. <laughs> <laughs> I promise. <laughs> I'll keep checking in. That's what no, I'll okay. do. I'll, awesome. I'll drop you a message. Wicked. Okay. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, you know, if you're listening or if you're watching, you know, I know this doesn't have anything to do with photography per se, <laughs> but if you are, you know, uh, what was it like for you? Like, did you, uh, you know, did you lose your your mojo, you know, when it when it comes to working out uh, during the pandemic, or was that actually was that the point where you started working out because you literally had nothing else to do? Be really interesting to hear from from people listening, um, to see. But I'm the only one who's dropped the ball on this, or you know, whether I'm not alone. 
<laughs> you won't be alone. <laughs> anyway, so um, now I know that since we uh, since we spoke last, of course, a lot has changed for you as well. I mean, first of all, I remember mm -hmm. when we when we spoke, um, you know, of nearly over a hundred episodes ago. Yeah, which yeah. in itself is crazy. Um, you were just, you know, you were just getting into a YouTube channel, and um, you, I think you just moved to your first place in Devon, mm -hmm. um, and. Uh, and so you would, you would just start to get into that. And I've been obviously like many people I've been following your YouTube channel and mm -hmm. I have to say it's, it's just, I think it's, it's mind boggling how good it actually has become. <laughs> it's <laughs> awesome. You. So what I want to chat to you about to start with is really just, you know, your kind of workflow, like how did you get into, how did you make the transition from photography to video? You know, what did that feel like for you? And, and so what is your... What's your workflow when it comes to producing those videos from the initial idea to mm -hmm. actually posting them online? So how did you first how did you first make that transition from portrait photography into video? Well, obviously, I'm still doing um, the portrait stuff, and I've you know even back when we last spoke, there was a YouTube channel there. And it'd been there for quite a while, but I'd never dedicated myself to it like I have now, and that that is that is definitely one of the key things i would say about youtube is that you've got to you've got to be dedicated to it and you've got to be committed to it because it isn't something that you if you want it to grow it isn't something that you can just pick up as and when it's got to it's got to be a regular thing um but i kind of i i knew that you know when we last spoke when it was the um, you know episode 56 i think he said it was at the time when it was you know very quite early on in the pandemic i'd not long finished doing the uh, the veterans project that was the thing that was all consuming for me and I was totally into so I didn't really have time for doing the other stuff any content that I was producing be it stills or maybe the odd short video or whatever was to do with that particular project because it was uh, it was everything that I was doing so then the project finishes purely because of the well not purely it, the project is forced to finish because of the covid pandemic but also it came to a natural end anyway because of certain Certain veterans I've become very close to that I I lost. I got very upset about it, and I can't I can't keep doing this. So that that was a natural end to it, if you like. Um, but then yeah, the, then the YouTube. I made the conscious decision that right now I'm going to kind of really focus on my YouTube, and it wasn't something that I could just say. You know, it wasn't just any old day thinking. Do you know what? I think I'm going to commit myself to YouTube now. I don't personally think. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself here. I don't think I could have made that decision. I'm just going to go and do it. I had to be in the right frame of mind for it. It had to be the right time for me to do it. Because before, um, I don't know how many years it would have been now, when I was kind of going for it, and you, you can see these videos, you know, if you go back in the catalogue of videos that I've got, I mean, it's embarrassing when I look at it. Oh, my God. But I was doing them every single week, and I was I made the mistake of numbering them as well, like this is video number such and such, and then you really are tied to it. Um, but back then, even though I was doing it, forget the quality, forget the audio and all that kind of stuff, it, it started to feel like a job. And that's the last thing I wanted. It started to become, it felt like a task, something that I had to do. And that kind of killed the, um, it killed the enthusiasm. It killed the creativity. So I took a natural break from it. I thought there's no point. There is a phrase in the YouTube world that they say, feed the beast. Once you've got the channel going, keep feeding the beast. And I think that can be misinterpreted as, as just put any old content out there. And I don't agree with that. I think if you're going to put content out, it's got to be worthy content that you would want to watch, let alone 
you know, anybody that subscribes to your channel. So I took a break from it. And then, I, you know, like I was trying to explain in them when the, the COVID pandemic comes in, there's just something about the time it felt right for me to say, do you know what? I think, I, I, yeah, I am. I'm going to go for it now. I really feel ready for it. The time was right. Can't explain how that happened or why it happened. It just felt right. And I'd been watching loads of videos in the meantime, prior to that particular point, you know, people like, you know, everyone knows Peter McKinnon, one of my favorites of all, Casey Neistat, loads of other kind of great YouTubers, not necessarily that have got massive following as such, like those two, but I just love their editing style, you know, and the, the way they edit the videos. Um, and it was kind of that that motivated me. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go for it. And I started to do these kind of, I don't like the phrase, but I get why it exists, vlog type things where you would go out and I'd have videos that were maybe 25, 30 minutes long and I'd be, you know, you you put your camera down, you walk towards it. Then as you've gone past it, you stop the recording, turn the camera around, then walk past it. So you can kind of create that kind of feelings if you're out with me and here's me walking. And I really enjoyed doing those. Uh, and it's just good fun, really, really enjoying it. And I found that I was able to produce content every week, but I was enjoying it. It wasn't a task. I was just... It felt it just felt right. I don't know how I can explain it other than that, really. It just felt right, and I was really enjoying it. And I've learned a lot since then, since I put those long-form videos out. My, I mean, you asked about the workflow. What workflow have I got? Um, and I approach videos differently now as I did than what I did then. So um, my, I kind of, I've got a book here. In fact, just as I see, I've got two notebooks. I'm still analog when it comes to keeping notes. This is my YouTube book. It's kind of red, but that's why I've got it. So I know it's my YouTube book. And if I come up with an idea, I scribble it in there. I've also got like a, a whiteboard uh, on my door there, which I can't miss as I walk out the door. And any ideas that come into my head, I put them on there. Um, and every time I get an idea for a video, I just shove it in. But sometimes, you know, something new can come out like it did the other day, the AI stuff in Photoshop, which I kind of hadn't thought about, saw it. I thought, do you know what? I could do a video in a different way to what everyone else is doing. Everyone else is showing, this is where you get it, this is how you install it, all this kind of, I'll do something different I think is more practical. So that's how I kind of approached it. But I've got I've got a way that I put the videos together, which works for me. It might not work for everybody, but it, it kind of works for me. So, yeah, I feel like I'm talking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. This is a podcast. <laughs> but, <laughs> that's all I'm yeah, talking. Yeah. <laughs> um, my, my process, when it, when it comes to doing a video is I... Um, I think when people watch them, and you tell me, Kirsten, and I know that my friend Unmesh, when he, he messaged me every now and again, and he'll message and sort of say, I enjoyed that one that you did. And he says, it, Unmesh actually said in a message to me the other day, he said, it felt like I was just sitting there and it was just casual and you were just chatting, telling me something. And when he said that, I was like, that's great to hear. And I don't know how you feel about it when you watch my videos, but I, I want them to feel as if it's just, it's me and you talking. I'm, I've got this and do that and blah, 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 blah. When really behind the scenes, it's all scripted. I have to script everything. Absolutely everything is scripted, almost down to every um, ah, it's it's all scripted. So my process is, it takes me, I would say, I'd say two days, let's say two days to do a video if I look at, if I spread it over, probably a day if I did it all in one hit, but I spread it over two days. The first day I script out what I'm going to say. Um, and then what I do is once I've written it all out, I then read it all through and I highlight and, and turn into bold any bits which I'm going to say to camera. 
And the bits that aren't bold are the bits that are literally voiceover. So when it comes to recording the video the following day, I have the script up on my display over on the left-hand side here, and I can see there's a bold bit, and I read it, okay, memorize it, and go, hi, I'm Glyn Juice, welcome to another, and I'll say that, and then pause. And then I read the bit that isn't bold, pause, look at the next bit that is bold, memorize it, and come back, and buddy, 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 buddy. You know, and so carry on. So when that's all put together, taking out all the pauses, it seems as though it's just one continual kind of conversation. I do that because I, can, I tended to find that when I initially would record them, let's say if I didn't script it, I would constantly fluff it. And, I, and I'm used to speaking in front of people. I've, you know, I went to, as a kid, I spent some time at drama school, all this kind of stuff. So I, I kind of, I'm not, I'm not a problem with that. But I would say, right, now I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that. And I, oh, no, hold on. So, oh, right. Okay. Start again. And I found I kept wasting time. So my way of making a more effective use of my time was to script it out. And because of the way that I'm able to, hopefully, again, you know, you as somebody who says that they watch the videos, it comes across, I'm just, just saying it. I think I've got that way of delivering it that sounds like it's not scripted. You know, I haven't got a teleprompter where you can see my eyes moving or anything like that. It's basically memorizing two sentences, looking at the camera and recording it. Um, and that's kind of how I do it. And if it's a Photoshop tutorial, I record the screen of me doing it. Then I see what I've done and I write the script down for everything I'm doing and then I read it and then I put the two together. Excellent. Okay. That's, that's extremely, anyway, that's, that's so helpful because, um, in part it confirms my own experiences really. Um, you know, I've also found that scripting certain things out. Um, helps me a lot because it yeah. streamlines the process, you know, because I've, I felt exactly, I had exactly the same experience as you, um, you know, whereby, uh, you know, I used to just waffle through a video and, and then I would have to go back in and cut out all the fluffed up bits and, yeah. you know, and it would take absolutely forever. First of all, it would take longer to record, but it would also take longer to edit, you know, afterwards. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. then, you know, you sort of all, all of a sudden you're doubling the time. So now, I script a lot more and I do have a teleprompter, um, which, mm. which helps me because I'm terrible at, at, uh, memorizing script. Uh, I, I would make the worst actor. Like I could be great <laughs> in a silent movie. I think that's, that would be my era. <laughs> I only do yeah. silent movies, but it's the minute I have to, uh, I have to remember a script. I'm just, I'm hope I'm hopeless. So I have to, you know, read it, but, but you're right. You have to write it in the way that you would say yeah. it. That's really Absolutely. important. You know, yeah. in, including some of the amps and the R's, actually. And you've got to, you know, you've got to be able to, it sounds all very kind of staged and stuff, but I guess it's got to be, if you, if you want it to be effective and come across well, you've got to, you've got to have it, you know, written out. You've got to almost rehearse it, because I will rehearse little bits as well to make sure that everything comes across well. Because even people who are, you know, people who are viewing the, watching the videos, People have got busy lives, you know what I mean? They don't want to listen to Waffle. We've all, we've all, you know, watched videos before, or maybe it's just me, where you find yourself almost shouting at the screen saying, get on with it, get to the point. Do you know what I mean? And that's when I look at my previous videos, I look at them now and going, get to the point. Whereas now it's just a case of boom, 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 boom. And if you go through it quickly, right, right, let's have a recap. Let's take it back. Let's do another picture now and let me show those steps again. Do you know what I mean? Just to kind of do it that particular way. And it's just it's just the way that I, I'm creating videos that I would want to watch, hopefully. And um, and hopefully that comes across in a way that makes people, other people want to watch. I mean, the feedback's great. I get some lovely feedback and 
people saying that they're you know they're they're engaging and stuff like that. So exactly. I just I I think it, I hope it comes across that I I just enjoy doing it, Kirsten. I really do. You know, it's not doesn't feel like a task. I I enjoy it. Yeah, and it um, really it really does come across. And you know, it's when we're talking about the early days, um, you know, a minute ago, it's it's one of these things that once you once you get doing things like YouTube videos, you know when you first start it's going to be terrible you know and then as you carry on doing it your performance will get better you know even just something like you know something that seems relatively straightforward like reading a script off of a teleprompter you know it seems like a really easy thing to do but actually it took me a little while to get used to that and to really yeah. put you know put some i don't know some some humanity into the whole thing you know rather yeah, than it yeah, just yeah. sounding like we're actually reading something i don't know if it still sounds like we're reading something maybe it does, well, maybe actually, it does. Do you know funny enough about an hour or so before me and you started chatting i was watching a little video uh, that was put on it's like a technical video from apple that was posted in 2022 and it's all to do with the lidar scanner on the on the iphone you know the one that gets all the depth information and the guy that's reading it i mean he could have been ai he wasn't, but he could have been. He was. He was very robotic, and there was no, you know, there was no muscle twitching in his face apart from a little bit of movement in his mouth as he was speaking. It was like God, really, you know, hard to. If I didn't want to glean the information off it, I couldn't have watched it. It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't an engaging video, you know. You don't have the same Maybe. impression uh, recently when Nikon um, introduced the 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 brand new Z8. Um, it was a great presentation. It's a phenomenal piece of kit, um, mm. but it was so obviously scripted and rehearsed. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, I, I felt throughout the whole thing, it was a lot of sort of data delivery, you know, yeah. and and I think it was it was made to be exciting sort of a thing, but this sort of human factor was just missing. And I, I was watching and I, I kept thinking like, come on, man, this is an awesome thing. Like be more excited about it because you know, this thing yeah. actually rocks, you know? And um, and so yeah, this is one of these examples where, you know, it's it does require you know it does require the the right kind of scripting, but also acting skills. I think is the other thing. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, you you know you got to have intonation and all that kind of stuff in your voice as well. You know, rather than being all very monotone and just blah 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 blah. You know, you got to you got to make it exciting. Although you don't take, I don't feel that you should take it to the extreme. Some people really do go way over the top on the YouTube videos. It makes me go, yeah. oh, turn it off. Can't watch. <laughs> but there'll be people out there that could watch it. So, do you know what I mean? Well, exactly. I think, you know, one of the, uh, one of the best pieces of advice I've ever been given was actually by Tommy Reynolds, also um, somebody who's been on the show several times and a good friend mm -hmm. of, the, of the show. Um, and he said to, he said to me in the very, very beginning, he said, um, you know, there's someone and something for everyone out there. So even if there are lots of other videos that are talking about the same thing, like you mm. as a human, you know, might be, uh, you know, you might be chiming with somebody who's who's listening or watching. And so, yeah, absolutely. That's the thing, you know. So it's the same with like teachers in school. There's some people get on with one particular type of teacher, and others don't, you know. And so it's. And it's the same. It's the same with the you know the whole world of you know being presenting on stage and stuff like that. Is that you know you can you could present something in Photoshop or Lightroom or whatever. You could present it, but somebody else couldn't relate to it. Whereas somebody else could come on stage and present exactly the same thing, using exactly the same words, but because of the way that they do it, 
that person can relate to it. So that's why the market's never, I don't think it'll ever, it can ever be saturated. You know, you know, the, the, of course, there are thousands upon thousands, if not millions of YouTube channels already, but I, there's no problem with somebody starting a YouTube channel now because it's your channel and you are unique and there will be a market for you. There will be an audience for you. So, But before we get started, let me just say a quick thank you to our sponsor, DVE Store. DVE Store's mission is to help you create better video and provide you with the tools necessary to explore your creativity. If you have any digital video equipment needs, whether that's camera equipment, audio gear or lighting and much more, you can check them out at dvestore.com. Thank you to DVE Store for the high def video. And of course, you can find a link to DVE Store in the description. But yeah, it's, it's, I, I thoroughly enjoy doing it. Absolutely thoroughly enjoy doing it. And uh, the, I find that the more I do, the more ideas I have. Whereas I think most people would think that the more videos you do, how do you come up with ideas? It's just one of those things. The more you do, the more you get, the more you, ideas you get. And I suppose it's like that old saying, isn't it? The, was it the, the busier I work or harder I work, the luckier I get? It's the same thing with YouTube. The more exactly. videos you create, the more ideas you get. And, you know, and of course, if you are listening and you're thinking about, um, you know, getting into the world of video or, or making YouTube videos or something, you know, just get started. That's, you know, done is better than perfect. Incidentally, that was the, mm -hmm. that was the title of the first episode we ever did um, mm -hmm. for, for this podcast, because we didn't know what the hell we were doing <laughs> at yeah. all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. you just have to get it done, you know, and then you get better from there. There's a, there's a, uh, a YouTube channel I watch every now and again, and the, the name of it is Air Photography. And you never see the guy's face. All you see is a top-down view of his hands on his desk. And he does lots of stuff to do with drones and, um, you know, gadget cameras like, you know, the Insta360s and the, the new GoPros and stuff like that. And all he'll do is have, he has his iPhone pointing down and it's his hands and he's doing he's reading a script voiceover kind of thing as he's doing it. But they're really engaging videos. It's just the way he speaks. You know, he's got one of those voices that you think, God, he could tell me about dust setting on the back of a radiator. I'd still want to listen to it. He's just got one of those voices, you know. My, my daughter used to, when she was little, she used to watch these um, YouTube channels where they unwrap Kinder eggs. Oh right, okay. <laughs> you know, like, like Kinder Surprise eggs. If you, I yeah, don't know yeah. if you're if you're if you're uh, over in the states, you might not know them. They're basically, chocolate eggs with a toy inside, like a little present thing. And uh -huh. so there are literally YouTube channels where all you can see is two hands unwrapping these <laughs> eggs like literally and there'd be one video People like we'll watch anything wouldn't they? i know we'll watch anything. but you know, she <laughs> but loved that's it not an excuse to put out rubbish <laughs> exactly 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 do you think uh, at some point because i've seen this uh recently where you can literally get like an ai avatar um that looks like an uh, like a human and sort of speaks like a human and uh, mm -hmm. they do you think that's going to replace youtube presenters at some point uh do you know what? You could say no, but I think nowadays with technology, you can't say no. You can just say who knows. At some point, maybe. I don't know. I really don't know. I don't think I don't think I would want it to replace me because I like that engagement like that, you know, but it could certainly be something that would be something that you could use in your videos. Do you know what I mean? You could use it in a funny way. If there's if there was like a virtual you that you were able to you know, not just have in your office environment as a talking head, but you could actually put it out somewhere. You know, you could put it into a 3D kind of space out on location. That could be fun. So I don't, I don't think it would, re it wouldn't replace me presenting, 
but it'd be really good fun coming up with our ways that you could use it that would make it engaging. Yeah, uh, <laughs> absolutely. Um, there used to be this, do you remember when, when Zoom first uh, became a thing, like at the, again, mm -hmm. at the beginning of the pandemic, um, I used to do this thing where I used to take a screenshot of my screen um, and then I used to use that as the background picture of, of, of my Zoom call and then I would slip out. And so people would just think that I'd be sitting there watching or listening when really I was somewhere completely different. There was a, that reminds me because there was a, I know, God, yeah, when the, when the pandemic was up and running and you know, school children were having classes on Zoom. And I know there was one kid, I think it actually made the news where one of the kid, you know, got these kind of like squares of all the class of 30 children. There's a teacher's presenting. And there's this one kid that's just stood there like, or sat there just like that, just not moving. And they'd literally just taken a screen grab and just posted it and then got off. You know what I mean? I mean, you can't knock them for their ingenuity, but yeah. So you can be to abuse. Yeah, you can be you can be creative no matter what. Oh yeah, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> but you know, talking about AI, of course, you know, we've got to talk about AI because AI is, mm -hmm. is the big thing at the moment. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting. Um, I spoke to Micah Burke. I had Micah Burke on the on the show in mm. I want to say early December something or maybe mm -hmm. maybe a little bit earlier I can't remember but it wasn't it wasn't necessarily that long ago and we were talking about you know AI and the way things were progressing so rapidly you know and and of course that now already seems like an old hat because now we've got AI built into Photoshop you know at least yeah. into, into the Photoshop uh, beta version um, as, mm -hmm. as most people will know um, and I know you your your most recent video uh, deals with with Photoshop AI and gives some really great mm -hmm. examples as to how to how to use it creatively. Um, I don't know about you, but I certainly had an, a really a number of I had sort of mixed responses to the whole AI issue. Some people seem to be embracing it, and mm -hmm. and some people seem to be maybe I don't know maybe a little bit scared of it. What's your take on that? Yeah, it's uh, uh, when I look at the. Um, I mean, my my own feelings with this, and this is somebody whose career has been based on Photoshop. That's how I started. Um, I don't find it to be a threat at all. In fact, if any, and this, you know, we're all entitled to our own opinions. But the, for what I do, I see it as doing nothing but helping what I do, because uh, it'll never replace. You know, some of the comments that I've got on the YouTube video, which has had a load of views loads of comments and it is it's almost like one extreme to the other there are there are people who really do agree with it and think it's great and there are people who are kind of seriously anti seriously anti and i kind of get you know i'm not i'm not kind of pig-headed enough to kind of think that those who don't like it are just stupid and they're going to get left behind i would never i would never say that and i'd never never think it i do get their argument but i think the argument as well it's it's very early to have those feet those negative feelings about it when we don't really know what this is going to do they're kind of seeing what's being done by you know folks like myself and other people out there on youtube and adobe guys and and you know the kelby guys that did some scott did a, 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 broad, a broadcast on it as well showing what can be done they're kind of seeing that and thinking that's all it's going to be it's going to replace photography and see that, that's the thing you see people are saying end of photography how can it be the end of photography there might be some genre that could be affected you know that, that it could well be the case you know like stock photography for example 
people who go out there. There's a guy I know called Dave Wall, makes a really good living taking lots and lots and lots of stock photo, you know, for Adobe stock and what have you. And lots of stuff is, that he does is produced and used on book covers. Potentially, it could have an impact on that, potentially. But, you know, how how is AI, certainly what we're seeing at the moment in the beta version of Photoshop, how is that going to replace you know, me taking a picture of somebody that I know or or a friend I know that does wedding photography or or whatever, that 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 personal touch that where it's got to be somebody recognizable being photographed, not just a general person. And I say that because I in my video I show how I I'd taken a photograph in South Wales of a, a, a sheep farmer leaning against a, a, a lovely old stone wall and whatever with his dog. And it was originally taken as a portrait-orientated image. And in the AI, I showed how I could make it uh, landscape-orientated by adding in stuff on either side so I could crop it differently. It's not how I wanted the picture to be originally, otherwise I'd have photographed it right. But it was just showing, look, how, how detailed and intricate this background is and this wall is. Look what it's able to do. But I had somebody message whose name I whose handle I can't recall now, but they basically said, uh, you know, a few expletives. And then it was a case of, well, I've just done exactly the same picture as you. There's no point you taking that picture. I've done exactly the same picture of you using mid-journey. I've just created an image in 15 seconds of a Welsh farmer with a sheepdog by a wall, blah, 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 blah. And you kind of, I couldn't help it. When I when I read it, I, there's this like involuntary kind of like sigh. It's like, oh, God, you just don't get it. You don't get it. It's not just any old Welsh sheep farmer. It's that sheep farmer that I was photographing. How could the, how could AI possibly replace that? So it didn't have an argument. Do you know what I mean? It was just didn't have an argument. So some of the arguments I'm seeing, I, I get. I mean, because part of the, the, the video that I did as well was to do with a photo shoot. I got Hasselblad sent a camera for me to have a play with. So we thought, right, we'll do a, you know, push the boat out and do a, a real nice themed photo shoot. And it was based on the Netflix poster for Seven Kings Must Die. So uh, a friend of ours who's a, an ex-cage fighter just looks the part. We got him in to be the model. We'd got the clothing from a company in South Wales that provided clothing for Game of Thrones, all that kind of stuff. It was just really, you know, we really went for it. And a fantastic girl come along who was a makeup artist. She did bruising, made him look dirty, cuts and scars and stuff like that. And then, and Steve had a bald head. Ideally, I'd love him to have had a Mohican, but that's probably asking too much. So in the edit, it was a case of, I wonder if I could do this. Could I possibly do it? So I literally just made a selection on top of his head and typed a few kind of key phrases in. And the first three images that came up, first three variations, was the perfect, perfect Mohican, kind of Mohawk kind of haircut. Like, oh, wow, I'll use that. Now... And I added a few more scars as well, which I had to kind of be very clever with the wording because obviously with the way that the user guidelines are with the AI, you can't create anything that's going to be, you know, violence, pornographic, abuse and all that kind of stuff. So I had to be very clever. But I managed to get some extra scars and a bit of blood on his face as well. But the comments that were coming in there was, oh, great. Okay, so we don't need to employ makeup artists now. I hope she knows she's got to look for a new career. It's like, oh, God. It was like a complete overreaction. There is no way, if I was doing a professional photo shoot and it required that kind of a look, there is no way I would have put in Steve in front of me with no makeup on, no special effects. Because what happens then if I take it back into the computer and I cannot create the look I want with AI? 
stuffed. It was purely used to enhance what I already had. Do you know what I mean? So the way I see it at the moment, and who knows how this is going to progress in the future, I see the AI, certainly with what we're seeing in the beta version of Photoshop at the moment, purely as an, an additional tool that we've got. And there is all this argument about, do you still own the image if it's taking stock images and creating this, that, and the other? I don't even want to go there thinking about it. We can't even use them commercially anyway at the moment. Um, but I just see it as a tool. You know, I mean, Scott Kelby said the AI is doing nothing new. It's doing what we were always able to do in Photoshop. The, those who had the skill and the know-how to composite and stuff like that, this is what we were always able to, able to be able to do, you know? Um, but the AI is enabling it. But then I got a comment I saw from some bloke as well the other day saying, oh, great, I've spent years learning all these skills and blah, 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 and now any old numbnuts can come along and do the same. And I kind of get where he's coming from, but I've, it made me think of two things, Kirsten, when he said that. The first one was, and maybe I was wrong to think it, but it's what my initial reaction was, was that he enjoys the glory he enjoys having somebody say to me, you did that, you're amazing. Whereas this is now not going to mean that happens for him. That's how it made me feel initially. Do you know what I mean? So he likes the glory, he likes the pat on the back, and he's scared that's going to go. Maybe I'm wrong thinking that, I don't know. But um, also when he said that, that any old numbnuts can do it, I kind of found that, and I'm not, listen, I'm not somebody who's sensitive, but I found that a little bit offensive. You know, any old numbnuts can do it. You know, not everybody who uses Photoshop, in fact, I'd probably say the vast majority of people who use Photoshop, they're not doing it for financial gain. They're doing it and they're using it because they enjoy doing it. So why can't everyday people have access to stuff that they get fun using and creating stuff that they wouldn't ordinarily be able to create? You know, it's, why does it have to be reserved for those special few who've got that technical know-how to be able to composite and like people like Uli Steiger, who are incredible. It's never going to replace Uli Steiger. You know, it's never going to replace, you know, Adrian Sommeling and people like that who are incredible at this kind of stuff. But it's allowing people who just probably would never be able to do that kind of stuff. It's enabling them to do it. And they'll probably create stuff that's just fun. It's not for financial gain. So I think, I think you know, without people thinking, oh, it's going to replace everybody's job and what have you, then I think we just need to calm down a bit. But also I'll kind of throw it back to the people that have that opinion. It's going to get rid of the people's jobs, you know, Look at what they do day to day. Do they use online banking? Because if they do, what about those people who've lost their jobs at the banks now? Do they go to the supermarket and use the self-service checkout? Because if so, what about the ladies and men who've lost their jobs on the cashier desk to serve you? All this stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's like we we can't, it's okay for every other industry, but not in our own. So yeah, there's a lot we could talk about with this. It, you know, it sometimes <laughs> it very much reminds me. Um of something that happens every time there's a major shift in particularly mm. in, in technology, because that's mm. usually what it boils down to. There's some kind of, you know, major leap in technology and it, you know, and that has a profound impact on what happens next, you know, and mm. on, on the way that we are used to doing things, you know, and if we're, you know, to say, I mean, you mentioned uh, self-checkout machines, for example, you know, um, mm. I remember when they first became a thing over here in the UK, you know, and I remember uh, talking to my mom about it. Um, and Germany was very late in, uh, in 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 adopting that, and she mm. just went, "Well, I don't understand. What do you mean? You just, what you just? There's nobody there. 
Well, no. And of course, you know, if you think now, well, Amazon are already testing shops where they aren't even self-checkout machines anymore. You just walk in, it, it it scans your whatever, and, you know, you just put all your goods in your basket. You walk out, it scans yeah. everything automatically on the way out. There's no, you don't have to even yeah. stop and pay for anything. It'll just get, you know, deducted mm. from your bank account. And that's it. So, mm. you know, even the people that make the, the scanners for the self check out machines, even they're going to be out of a job soon, you know, because technology moves on. That's the thing. But in photography, you know, this really goes back a long time. I mean, what about the people that made the photographic plates back in the early 20th Mm -hmm. century, you know, they were out, you know, or or 19th century, you know, they're out of a job as soon as film came along, you know, and then, and then when everything went to digital, you know, all the work that people had, the training that people had to go through, yeah. all the work that I put into learning how to develop something in the dark room, well, all that's gone out of the window since the event of digital. And, you know, and, and I know this because I have a lot of friends who are um, you know, members of camera clubs, for example, and a lot of, because, you know, the average age in camera clubs, in most camera mm-hmm. clubs over years are a little bit older. And so there's yeah, a lot yeah. of people in there who still have that hands-on experience with film photography mm-hmm. in the dark room and everything. You know, and I don't know any of that other than that my dad used to develop stuff in our bathroom when I was a kid. And I remember the smell of the chemicals, but I don't know how to do that stuff. I have zero idea how to do that stuff. Yeah. You know, and that doesn't, but that doesn't make me a lesser photographer. Absolutely not. No, I I would never, I would never be doing what I'm doing now had digital photography not, not evolved. You know, there's no way I would, I didn't, I wasn't interested in using a film camera and developing stuff. I, I, um, I think I'm probably first generation geek. You know, I mean, we kind of, we were the first year that did the GCSE qualifications at the end of school exams. You know, when O-levels finished, they brought in this new GCSE. And we were the first year of students that did that. And it was the first year that computer studies was in. And I was in my element. So, you know, I'm I'm brought up on technology, computers. So, yeah, the only reason I'm doing what I'm doing, doing what I'm doing rather, is because of the technology side of things. I wouldn't have done film. But... Before I forget, I'm sorry for putting in on you. The one thing that this has all made me think as well, this this AI, my argument for this as well is something that doesn't seem to be mentioned with it all, is that, you know, you're getting, I think the the main, the naysayers, the ones who don't like it, you, they are they're from two specific camps. I think you've got the the people who make a living from photography, purely from photography, that they're feeling threatened by it. I think that is it. And I understand some of the argument for it totally. And I think the other camp that are anti it is, and you've mentioned already, is the camera clubs. So I think when it comes to, you know, we've already mentioned about the commercial side of it, but the actual camera club side of it, yes, there will be have to be some kind of, some kind of policing around the use of AI within camera clubs, you know, competitions and stuff like that, because obviously what you don't want is somebody entering something that is purely AI. So that is definitely a concern. It doesn't mean that AI should be ruled out. It should be made identifiable that AI was used and maybe create a separate category for it or whatever. So there's that. But the other thing as well, which has just made me think about, and I've never seen or heard anybody else mention it at the moment, is that being a creative, being a photographer, being a retoucher, being whatever, in the anybody in the creative field, it isn't just about what you create and how you create it. It's the thought process. It's what's in your head. The creative side of things, AI, doesn't matter. I'm not talking about, you know, what wording, what keywords will you put into the AI to generate something? That's not what I'm talking about. A huge part 
of being a creative and being a successful creative is knowing when an image is finished, knowing what to do and when to do it. AI can produce whatever you want, but why does that mean it's finished? How can that possibly be finished? You've got to have your own creative vision and know-how to say, no, that's not right. I need to do this. I need to do that. So AI, no matter how good it's going to be, will never be able to make those decisions for you. So it's not going to replace the creative. Exactly. I I completely agree. Because creativity is really, or the creation process is a multi-step process. You know, it starts Mm. with the initial idea, the conception Mm. part of it. You know, we, we have an idea of, okay, well, this is what I want to create. Then there's the process of, well, how how am I going to get to that? Um, and it, yeah. you know, for instance, in, in photography, you know, very often it's a matter of okay, well, I want to create this kind of background or whatever, and you know, this sort of lighting and that model, and this is what I want to do, blah blah blah. Mm. Then it gets to the shoot, and even before we then move on to the post production part of it, one of the most important aspects, and and one of the most skilled job of a creative is actually the image selection out of the hundreds of images that you've just taken which one of those is going to be the one that you're going to move on to the next step that's the couldn't agree more above and beyond everything else that's the skill and when people say and i've always found that because i was sort of i think when i first got into photography i felt like a little bit of a fraud i have to say you know because other than other than my, my dad and my grandmother being photographers, I really had, I was a musician. I had no, like, you know, I, I was, I'm not a trained photographer mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination. But I remember when, you know, when, when uh, in the early days when people just say, oh, well, you know, I, I really love your photos and, you know, I don't know how you do it, blah, blah, blah. And I used to think, I'm not, like, I look at other people. I look at Scott Kelby or I look at Joe McNally or, you know, and... You know, and I I see the skill, the skill in the lighting. They like knew so much more than I did at the time. You know, I look at Annie Leibovitz and just her skill in like posing. Mm. You know, and you look at you know I used to look at people like that and you say I don't know. I mean, these people are incredible. They have so much knowledge. You know, I think what I was very good at from the beginning is selecting the right shot. Yeah, because if people saw all the other shots that I took that day. Mm. They wouldn't have been thinking of any good, you know? Mm. And so, and I think um, for any creator, it's, that's a very particular creative, it's, it's like, it's the gate, you know, that's the gate, like uh, that, that basically allows you to really filter it down to the one shot that you're going to then take into the post, post-processing. That's when the AI comes in and that's where yeah. uh, all the, the retouching comes in and everything else. But unless you've made the right decision, you made the right call in selecting that perfect shot, mm. none of the other stuff is going to be of any importance whatsoever. And that's really the Absolutely. core skill for any creative. Absolutely. And that, that needs to be talked about more, that you know, being a creative is more than just creating. It's knowing you know, what needs. To... That's the thing, isn't it? I've, I've always said this. When I, when I first kind of started teaching you know, Photoshop techniques and stuff like that, anybody... Anybody can be taught a technique, a tip or whatever, they can be taught it. But the skill is knowing how to combine those tips and tricks and techniques to get the final result. That's that's the skill. But it's also the skill of knowing enough is enough. 
you know, that we've all gone through it when we used to kind of edit too much, you know, that grungy, gritty kind of HDR-y kind of look <laughs> oh, that was God, like yeah. really in vogue, you know, a few years back. But eventually you kind of, your kind of experience of what and, and feeling what you know looks right makes you back off a bit. Do you know what I mean? You back off and go, actually, no, that, that to me feels right. AI cannot replace a feeling. It can't replace a feeling. It can't replace what you know is right and what have you. It can give you something that's technically right, but that doesn't mean to say it is right. You know, that's when your creative startup comes in. But, you know, you've you got people saying about the AI is taking away the skill of the editing or photography side of things. What about the cameras people are using? You know what I mean? I've got, you know, I I've, I met up with a guy, a friend, good friend of mine from Sony today because we've been doing some stuff around the new ZV-E1, which is just mind-blowing. It is the only camera that I did not want to give back. And so I'm getting one. It's that good. Right. But, you know, that there has got the same focusing system built into it as the A7R5, which is an AI. It's got an AI processor in it. So it can't, although it doesn't know what an arm and a leg actually is, it knows that when there's a head, then there's a mass, and then there's these bits here, generally. So I know that if I don't see that, I know to look for this. So it's using AI, not just on humans, but on birds, insects, planes, trains, you name it. It's AI. So you could have the people who go back years and years ago, manual focus. What are they now thinking? Oh, you know... Do you know what I mean, I all the years I learned how to manually focus, and now you've got your camera doing it. So, are you are you really taking the picture if your camera is doing all that for you? Now, in my opinion, is yes, because you still the creative side is knowing what to point it at, and where to you know when to press the trigger and all all that kind of stuff. So you could argue so much. You know, the the people that are so anti very quickly, considering this is all beta just slow down and just take a deep breath and look at what else is going on out there that we all use and take for granted and don't even think about. Do you know what I mean? So Absolutely. whatever happens, though, whatever happens, I can guarantee you one thing. There's one thing in life, apart from death, that you can guarantee, and that's change. It will not be going away. It will only... Today is the, today is the worst the AI will be. Because tomorrow it'll get better. The day after it'll get better. Look at the movie industry. Look, I mean, how many films do we watch that have got no AI in them? No CGI, none of that. I don't think there's any films. Even, even down to the point you could have somebody walking down a street talking on film and the street isn't even there. But you think, well, why wouldn't they film in the street? They just haven't. They're on a, they're on a green screen or a blue screen. They've put the scene in afterwards. Do you know what I mean? It's just everything now is all that. So what about the people that used to do all those jobs in the movie industry? Where are they? I don't know. Maybe they had to reskill themselves. Maybe they've learned how to, you know, make use of this stuff in their industry. The same is going to have to happen in the photography industry. That's a really great example. Of course, you talk about films. You know, Star Wars is a really great example because the original Star Wars trilogy um, back in the day, actually, it was filmed only only a few miles from where I'm sitting now. Um in, at a studio called, El, called Elstree mm. Studios, which is literally just a few miles from where I am. Um, back then, it was all practical effects. So it was building mm. models. So you had a lot of model makers. You know, obviously a lot yeah. of model makers would work on this on this movie. They built these incredible, incredible models. Mm. Um, and at the time, 
that was phenomenal because these models were really very detailed and they looked really photorealistic. Well, because they were actually physically there and they were lit with real lights and it was, you know, everything there was behaving according to physics as it should, as it should do. Um, but then if you remember in the late, very late nineties, George Lucas decided to reissue the original trilogy. Um, right. And it was like yeah. an enhanced version of it. And what had happened yes, was yeah. that um, digital technology had gotten to the point, or CGI had gotten to the point where he thought the tool was now at a point where it was usable and he could recreate or enhance the original versions um, in such a way as, as he had originally imagined them to be, but wasn't able to fully deliver on it because yes. of the technology yeah. of the day. And, yeah. and what, and I remember that there was a bit of hoo-ha about it. Of course, there was some people who said like, oh, well, but you should never, you know, meddle with the original cause blah, blah, blah. Um, and, uh, and it was great, you know, and, and of course that then led to the, the prequel trilogy, which, which used AI, well, not AI, CGI, I should say, mm -hmm. um, yeah. in, in, in much more detail and of course when you look at that i mean these these movies are now 20 years old you know that 2015 to 22 years old or whatever and you look at mm -hmm. those movies now and of course you know well even the cgi of, of that time now looks a little bit ropey of course what we're used to now mm. is a completely different thing but the same thing will be true in 20 years time people will be looking at movies that are that are really you know uh technology you know uh what's the word like, you know, movies that, that are really at the very top of technology right now. And in 20 years time, yeah, you look yeah. back at those and you go like, well, that's like, you know. I, I, I kind of, um, I, I'm excited about it all. And if, and if we're just mentioning about the movie industry, you know, the older we get, the people that we've kind of looked up to and have really admired these celebrities, these big time movie stars that we love seeing on films, you know, they're getting older. I'm watching, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it, by the way, FUBAR. Arnold Schwarzenegger's thing on Netflix, which is absolutely brilliant. If you're like Arnold, it is a brilliant, brilliant series. It really is. There's loads of kind of like um, discreet call-outs to all the films he's done in the past. It's hilarious. It really is. But, you know, I look at Arnold now. I think Arnold's, what, 76 now. And I, having been, you know, in the in the bodybuilding world and followed him since I was a kid, but I'm now looking at him as a 76-year-old man or whatever doing films, which is still brilliant. But, you know, one day he's not going to be around. And I dread, I honestly dread that day. But could CGI, well, I, know, I think I know the answer already. Does that mean that he won't have to disappear off our screens? You know, I mean, will they still be able to create movies with Arnold Schwarzenegger in? And I hope they do, because I don't ever want to have to lose having him on the big screen. But on the flip side of it, the argument is, so if Arnold's going to be CGI, purely like he was actually one of the Terminator movies. What happens to the stuntmen? Stuntmen are out of work. You know, there'll be stuntmen out there in the, in the movie industry that are looking at all this stuff going on. They're, you know, they've lost their jobs. So I guess what I'm kind of saying, Kirsten, is that it's, it, it's, it's inevitable. Change is inevitable. AI is here to stay. And it's just going to get more and more involved. Now, if you don't like it and you don't want to use it, that's fine. It's all personal choice. You know, if you don't want to use content to wear full in Photoshop, you don't have to. It's just it's your choice. <laughs> yeah, if you just want yeah, to use the clone stool instead, then yeah. clone stool, clone tool instead. You crack on. But you know, 
Yeah, there's no, photos, it's, there's it's no Photoshop police coming and knocking on your door. No, there's no Photoshop police. So, you know, there are concerns about people's livelihoods and their, you know, it's unfortunately, it's just the way that things are going to be. There will be jobs that become non-existent because of technology. That's, that's happened. That's always happened. The motor industry, do you know what I mean? It yeah. just happens. The industrial know, revolution. Exactly, yeah. So yeah. we've just got to kind of, Get on with it. Get on with you know, it. The, I understand the, arguments, but we've just got to get on with it because it's not going. Yeah, you know, the way I look at it um, personally is, you know, if I can create something in an hour that previously took me four hours, that just means I can now create four times as much as, as much stuff. It yeah. actually, you know, it, it boosts my creative output because I can now make so many more things because I now have the time. And, and actually, you know, that's really... The effect of that, I, you know, I can totally attest to that. Like even even over the last year and a half or something of making, you know, making this podcast, making videos for YouTube, you know, creating um, imagery and so on and so forth. A lot of the stuff that I do now probably takes half the time, you know, to make. Mm. And that's brilliant because it allows me to do other things, you know. And and I know that, you know, for, for me personally, um. If I want to be creative, I need to I need to create a certain balance in my life. Now you mentioned earlier um, that you know when you first started uh, with your YouTube channel, it, it started to become a chore and it became there was a lot of pressure and everything. And I know that, and I also thrive on a little bit of pressure. I need to have that little bit of pressure, that sort yeah. of thing that basically says like, right, you know, you gotta you gotta get this out um, by a certain time. And by the way, if you are listening, if you're still, if you're still listening, awesome. Um, but if you're wondering why there was an episode last week, um, that's because I was in Sweden. I was hanging out um, in Stockholm with Sean Luthwaite, who's also been uh, a guest on the show several times. Um, and I was I put myself under pressure the week before and think like, oh man, I have to you know I have to produce another episode so that I can go out whilst I'm away. And then really I came to the conclusion that actually, hang on a minute, no, I don't want to put myself under pressure. No. Um, I, it's okay, you know, I'm allowed to take a week off. It's fine, you know. And mm -hmm. actually. What I meant was, you know, that it's just basically allowed me to to come back feeling really refreshed and yeah. and really, you know, energized, you know, re-energized mm -hmm. to to create more uh, more of these podcast episodes and so on and so forth. So, yeah. so well, you know, it's thing. it's a good thing, yeah, exactly. And mm. you know, if technology or AI allows us to create more of a balance, it can only mean that our creativity will improve. That's my opinion. Yeah, I'm. I'll say one thing. I am. I am very intrigued to know what's going on behind the scenes regards to Adobe's um, a thing with it, because obviously the, their AI is is using billions. Is you know, it's searching across billions and billions of stock images that they have on Adobe stock to create all this stuff. Uh, by all accounts, and obviously there's some arguments saying about how are people who submit images onto Adobe stock, how are they being compensated for? I wouldn't I wouldn't have a clue, but I'd be really intrigued to know it. But I think we can be pretty sure that the legal side of things would be well and truly catered for. They'll know what the score is. And I'm sure in the future there'll be some kind of a I don't quite know how they'll do it, but some kind of compensation for anybody's images. But it's what a what a logistical nightmare. I don't know how I don't know how it's yeah. God. How would they how would they pay anybody whose image had been used 
in a picture to create AI, generate, I don't know, because well, what, how and, much and, of your image has been used? How yeah, can and you, you know, find it? Exactly, and it complete, It totally reminds me of, uh, in music in particular, you know, the shift from um, selling hard copies to downloads. Mm. You mm. know, this was this is actually the, um, oh man, what was it called? That's It's the Napster problem. Oh, you know? Napster, yeah, 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 I remember that. So for, for those of you old enough to remember Napster, Napster was a, a, an online platform that allowed you to illegally download um, music. Um, and in fact, yeah. I say illegally, it was, only, it was only, I think when it first started, it wasn't even illegal because people didn't really have a grasp of what, what it actually meant. But mm. it was basically a platform where you could go on, much like Spotify nowadays, and you could type in, or Apple Music or whatever, iTunes. Um, is iTunes still a thing? Is that still a thing? I... Apple Music, I don't really use. Yeah, iTunes, a good point, actually. Has it just changed to become Apple Music now? I don't know. I don't know. know. But, you know, after Napster, iTunes was the thing, and now that's Mm. not even there anymore. But um, mm. but so it was it was a thing where you know you could go on and you download any old piece of music, any any song, whatever. And of course, the musician at or the band at the end of it didn't get any compensation whatsoever. That's right, yeah. mm. Although we can argue till the cows come home um, about how much or, or, or about whether musicians ever got fair compensation for <laughs> the sale of their work in in the first mm. place. But you know, it's a whole yeah. different thing. But of course, um, you know, the whole industry changed from selling CDs. To, to digital downloads. Now, there's there's a thing that doesn't actually have any mass. You know, it's not there's no it's not a hard copy. It's not not a tangible thing. How do you compensate somebody? You know, for for that. Mm. And plus, if you buy an album, you just or a single, you just buy it once and you own it. Technically speaking, um, but now when you download when you listen to music on Spotify, you download the song every time you listen to it. And you know, if you're like me. I have my favorite songs. I listen to them all the time. I'm very big into Van Halen at the moment for some reason. That's just the face I'm going to. <laughs> um, but, you know, so I might be listening to the same song like 10 times in that week. You know, how... And again, it's like all of that originally when Napster was around, that, that was a huge question mark. Like, how do we compensate the creator yeah. of that work? You know, how does that even work? Yeah. And I think we're at the same point now with AI in in image manipulation you know this new thing is here basically napsters back you know <laughs> in the form of photoshop ai and we're all scratching our heads going like well how is this going to work but one thing is certain is that just like napster led to spotify there will be something at the end of that at the end of that tunnel you know at the end of that yeah. path where mm-hmm. there will be a system or whether it means you know uh, Maybe it's an additional subscription service. Maybe you pay, I don't know, you know, if you want to use a particular tool, maybe you have to pay two pounds extra for your photography uh, package, <laughs> Adobe, or whatever it may be. Maybe mm. it gets financed. Maybe it's a per-use thing. So every time you use yeah, the tool. Yeah, we just, we'd have no idea how it's going to, uh, how it's all going to end with how they're going to do it. Yeah. Who knows? Who, Who knows? knows? But uh, Who knows? it ain't going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's basically that's that's the that's what we got to in this. It's here to stay. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. um, and of course, you know, I mean, we're talking about Photoshop, but of course, um, you know, all all of those, um, all of those, uh, you know, apps are going to be benefiting from that technology. You know, Lightroom um, mm-hmm. is another example. You know, we're already, you know, Premier the pro. The, Premier Pro, yeah, exactly. Um, you I, know. Used to, I used to use a company called Rev. 
all the time. Every single week, I would when I created a video, I would I would pay to have the transcription done. Right. And it was something like, I don't know, 10 cents for every minute, something like that. Send that up. Short while later, there's your .srt file that you then put in with your YouTube video. Then you've got subtitles if people want them. Haven't used them at all for ages now because you can do captions in Premiere Pro. Yeah, that's something Final so, Cut should really catch on with if you're, if anybody, anybody at Apple is listening to this. <laughs> Although Final Cut have just come out with um, the ability oh, to... iPad. <laughs> yeah. Final Cut on the iPad. I know. Well, that's, that's the thing. And it's just come out with a new tool where you can uh, basically erase the background automatically without a green screen. And I know this is, you know, it's probably a, a feature that's already present in DaVinci or whatever, but, uh, but it's just, you know, it's one of these, it's one of these artificial intelligence kind of a things, you know, just mm -hmm. like mask, the masking feature in, yeah. in Lightroom has really changed everything when it comes to masking, you know, that's insane. It, yeah. yeah, it's made my job so much, so much easier when it comes to mm. you doing headshots because I'm constantly masking out the background and this and the other. So, you know, one more <laughs> thing I want to talk to you about is mobile photography, because that oh, is yes. the thing that's alongside with AI. I feel that over the last year in particular, and maybe it's because maybe since the, maybe since Apple brought out the iPhone 14 pro, maybe, but probably even before that. Um, mobile photography has really become a very serious contender to, in inverted commas, proper camera. I hate that term, but you know what I mean. Um, and I know that one of the things that, that's actually uh, fascinated me um, a lot, you know, watching your videos, is that you've downscaled your equipment. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember in the beginning, you went out with like, I don't know, I can't remember, was it a Sony? Uh, body and cameras and A7R4 and three lenses, filters, HMI filter set. Oh, yeah, you name it. Yeah. And now you've you've basically managed to to scale all that down, um, mm. to to use your mobile a lot. So or your cell phone for those for those of you listening mm. across the pond. Yeah, my um, portrait work. I use my main camera at the moment because we can't say what's going to happen in the future. But at the moment, if I'm doing portrait work, I only use my main camera. But the stuff that I was doing, or I do rather, that isn't my main bread and butter. So if I'm looking at anything other than portrait work, I use my mobile phone because I do the other stuff because I just enjoy doing it, the, purely for the fun of doing it. And I was finding that with the landscape stuff and seascape stuff, which I really love doing, that enjoyment was almost, and this again, this is only me, right? This is just me talking here, I have my experience and my feelings that lugging around a load of kit was just killing the feeling of being out there for me. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, I'd go to somewhere beautiful, like just, you know, we've got Cornwall and Devon right on the doorstep. And, you know, you kind of go to these places and I'm having to not look at the thing, something, right, what lens, I'll use that lens, right, put a filter on, do this, do that. I'm thinking, oh, I just didn't want that. I wanted to just enjoy being there. I didn't want to lug loads of stuff around. And I find that, my landscape and seascape photography using my phone is just so much fun. It is so much fun. And at, at the start, I wasn't even telling some people what it had been taken with. In fact, I did some talks, online talks on Zoom to some uh, clubs and what have you. And I did a presentation as well in person and showed some images without saying they're taking them with my phone. And gen I wish I'd filmed the reaction because there's some couple of pictures 
that when I showed them, you could literally see their mouths go, that's a phone. You know, they couldn't believe it was taken with a phone. That's not me saying, God, aren't I good? It's the quality of the file that was coming out was just, just phenomenal. I did a video, I did a video printing out a 72 inch picture of an iPhone, I, I, an iPhone picture rather. And that was, that wasn't like the, um, the, the sort of like the 48 megapixel version that you can get. Was it Pro Raw in the iPhone? That was a Bayer DNG file, a 12 megapixel printed to 72 inches. And the quality was insane. My mate Ian Munro, we hung up on his studio wall and it was the first time he saw it. And he walked in and went, holy, that's incredible. Honestly, it's just I, mobile phone photography. My camera bag, funny you should mention, actually, downscaling your kit, because the guys I do some stuff with, the guy called the guys called Reflex, that's the company, they produce um, long exposure apps called uh, Reheld and Reexpose. They've just sent me this today. This is their new thing. It's called their Tech Carry Case. Look at the size of that. It's my hand on it. So it's like the size yeah. of my hand. That there would carry any additional lenses I want to use on my phone and all the filters. So you think my camera case, that's got a strap, that you would be that and my tripod and my phone in my pocket. Done. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's amazing how um, how companies have been able to scale down gear, you know, these days. Mm -hmm. um, so I, like I mentioned earlier, I went to Stockholm um, last week, um, mainly for a bit of a break, but also because I wanted to take some shots and um, hang out with Sean um, you know, and it was a great opportunity. And, uh, and so I thought, you know, I, I want to do some street photography, you know, I want to take some, some kit with me. And I thought, okay, I'm going to have to keep that as small as possible. And uh, so I ended up taking a, a platypod extreme and the new platypod handle, uh, with me. Um, and, mm. and all I had in addition to that was basically a, a phone clip, you know, to attach your phone to it. Um, mm. And that was it. And so, you know, I, I managed to create lots of lots of stuff just with these two items that together are so small and lightweight that you don't even have to, you know, you don't need a camera bag, you don't need anything. It's 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 it does the job of a tripod without it being the size of a tripod. It's just it's amazing, mm -hmm. you know. So, and I was I remember um, I was at this lake just outside of uh, of Stockholm and I was preparing for this uh, portrait shoot. And I'm thinking, wow, I can fit all of this in my tiny little bag, including the camera. I just used the Fuji mm. X100F mm. series um, camera, tiny little camera. I could have used my phone, to be honest with you. Um, and and these two things, the Platypod Extreme and the Platypod Handle, that was it. Mm. Mm. You know, it's just amazing how how times have moved on. Whilst a few years ago, you know, I would have had to drag a tripod with me and a, yeah, and yeah. a tripod head, you know, and... Um, and probably, uh, you know, heavy lens and a camera body and all the rest of it. And now it's just, it's just a tiny little package. I which love is it. Incredible. I absolutely love taking pictures with my iPhone. I really did. The quality is like today's the worst it will be. You know, I mean, it's just incredible quality already. So I'm very excited to see how, you know, the next 15 comes out, the 16 comes out and what that's going to be able to do. Because you're getting people saying, yeah, but you haven't got optical zoom. You'll never be able to do this. You, you, people are going to have to stop saying never. Because technology advances so quickly, and what we thought was impossible is now day-to-day -day stuff that we take for granted. So give it a few years' time, who knows what we'll have to do with these phones. And this is the thing, you see, this, this is the, the one thing to, 
I've always had a bit of a bugbear about this, Kirsten, is that we say, look, you know, it's mobile phone photography. It isn't really, is it? I mean, what the, I'm holding my phone up to you now. What, but what is that really? That that is a piece of technology, a computer that you that has got an app on it that you can take make a phone call with. Take that one app off this. It's not a phone. So you know, look at the cameras that we've got. The technology in those that is a huge. That's a computer. The A7R5. You know, the Canon R5. They are computers that allow us to take pictures. Take the phone app off this. This is a computer that allows us to take photos. And yes, I know that a lot of the stuff is computational because of the actual workings of the computer. Like, you know, I'm sorry, the phone there that, you know, when it does a, a long exposure, you know, it hasn't got an aperture to remain open. It's taking multiple pictures, you know, very quickly and blending them together to create that effect. So what? You've still got to, you've still got to know where to position it, what what is make what will make a good picture. And anybody that says that mobile phones now they do it all for you, just point it. Well, they really are missing the point when it comes to photography. Because surely when you take your camera out, you think about what you're taking a picture of. I do exactly the same with this. I think about what it is that I'm taking a picture of. I, I angle it, I compose it, I do everything. Everything the same. The only thing I don't do when I've got my phone taking pictures as opposed to my camera is fumble around looking for filters and lenses and, you know, taking a bag off my back and stuff like that. That's the only difference. It's an interesting so, thing. You know, always, I think of techno, of, uh, sorry, I think of photography um, as a scale almost, you know, and it's, it's a spectrum, let's say. And on one side of the spectrum, you've got technology. And on the other side of the spectrum, you've got creativity. And because photography to me is sort of the, is the, in terms of art or in terms of an art form, it's a perfect blend between technology and, um, and creativity. And so if you imagine a, a spectrum with, you know, with technology on one end and creativity on the other end, every single photographer falls somewhere on this spectrum. You know, some people are very technology minded. I meet those people a lot, particularly mm. in, in uh, camera clubs, actually. So they're very much very much focused on the technology, like the camera body that they're using, the lenses that they're using, the filters that they're using, you know, uh, the, mm -hmm. the, the process that they're using, whatever it may be. And then on the other hand, on the other side of the spectrum, you've got those people who are pure creatives who couldn't give a rat's ass mm. about what kind of camera they're using. It's just give them yeah, anything, yeah. anything. Yeah. Canon, Nikon, Fuji, who cares? You know, a phone, whatever, whatever, because it's, because you start with the idea. And exactly. I think everyone sits somewhere on this spectrum, almost like, you know, in an ideal world, you'd be like right slap bang down the middle where you're super creative, but at the same time, you've got a full grasp of, of the technology. Maybe that's sort of the, the dream position where everybody wants to be at. But, but I, you know, I always, I think of myself really as being slightly more on the, on the creative side of the spectrum where I really don't care what tool I use. Just like, you know, imagine if you're a carpenter. We're not gonna, you know, if somebody gives you a nail and a hammer, you're gonna you're gonna build that thing, you know. And so you're not gonna you're not gonna start start arguing about the type of hammer that you've got or the brand of hammer that you've got, you mm. know. Mm. Ultimately, and I think you know very often in photography we tend to forget that that it's the most important thing surely has to be the end result. And all and also, for the majority of people, the the, the sort of it should be the enjoyment of doing it. 
Yeah. And me take, me just using my phone, doing landscapes and all that kind of stuff is is the enjoyment of it. And I do, I don't, you know, that spectrum that you mentioned there, I've, I've definitely got my feet in both camps, the creative side and the technology side, because I do love technology. Um, because when it comes to doing the mobile phone stuff, I just get such a buzz out of the fact that, you know, for example, I was down at Portland Bill with my mate Steve Healy, taking pictures at Portland Bill. There's a cafe literally 10 paces from where we are. I take the pictures with my phone. We then go into the cafe and sit down and we order some food. While we're waiting for that food, I get my iPad out of my bag and I start looking through my images that have already gone from my phone automatically to the cloud. I can look at them on my iPad. I can start editing and close my iPad down of something to eat. I then get home, go to Lightroom, where it's synced with Lightroom on my desktop, and I can then carry on editing from where I left off. I find that so incredibly exciting. I, I just love it. You know, I can I can be taking pictures with my phone and some friend of mine on another side of the world can be logged into Lightroom. If I send them a link from Lightroom, I can take a picture and they can see it appear on their computer on another side of the world while I'm there taking the picture with my phone. I love it. I love that technology. I really, really do. But technology aside, it doesn't mean to say that any Tom, Dick and Harry can take a great photo with a phone. It, it enables them to take better pictures, the quality of the pictures, but is it a but is it a is it a creatively good picture? That's the difference. Technically good, it'll be creatively. It's down to the person who's creative and that's using it. You know, what I mean, it goes back to the AI thing. The AI, the AI can do whatever it can. If it's the creativity in the person using it that makes the difference. Exactly, yeah. and that's such a great phrase to end this episode on, Glenn. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I think uh, <laughs> I think we've cracked the problem. As far as AI is concerned, um, yeah. if you're if you're listening, um, please get in touch. I'd really be interested to hear uh, what you think about you know about AI. Do you, do you think it's it's a threat to what you're doing, or do you embrace it? Is it you know is it the future? Um, do you love using it? Are you looking forward to what it's what it can give us next? Um, get in touch, Glenn. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the, on the show. Thank you no, so much. You're welcome. Much. Thank you very much for inviting me along. So I'll be intrigued to uh, read some of the comments now because what we're touching on here is the two co two topic areas that generally do get a lot of interest. So it'll be interesting to read some of those. Okay, folks, that's all for today. What an incredible chat. And if you like this episode, go and check out Glenn's YouTube channel at Glenn Dewars for some more incredible content. Also, if you want to hear more about Glenn's 39 to 45 project, let me recommend another episode that I think you'd like. Episode 46, where Glenn and me dive into that and lots of other fun stuff. I'm sure you'll love it. And for those of you who are listening to the audio version of this podcast, did you know that there's a fully fledged video version on YouTube with plenty of examples of our guest photography in full Technicolor? All you have to do is go over to YouTube, search for Camera Shake Podcast, and you'll be able to watch all past episodes on there. And if you're on YouTube already, get in touch and leave a comment and remember to hit the like button, ring the bell and share with your friends. You can help us reach a greater audience all over the world. Once again, thank you for listening and watching and I'll see you next Thursday.